Anybody mentioned where we were, but Tishomingo opted to go to have their gospel meeting, uh, and they're small anyway. And my mother invited me, us over on Sunday, and you just can't say no to your mama. So we went over and stayed with them uh, that day, and that's where we were. Um, first of all, as we get started, about a minute early, I want to tell. Uh, let uh, let you know that Aaron wanted an announcement made that the Lads to Leaders meeting has been moved to in here. Okay, so uh, just to know that it's been moved to in here. Um, as we begin tonight, we are in uh, Psalm 119. This is lesson four. There is a place in the bulletin for you to take notes. Um, I would gladly share what notes that I have with you. It is a phenomenal study. We are looking through Psalm 119 and looking at each of these sections. Each of these sections of eight verses are headed by one of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And as you read these, you'll see that every one of them is full to the brim with the same theme, God's Word. God's Word in every aspect of our lives. Um, and while it may seem repetitive when we read it, when you dig into it, you'll see it's anything but, especially when you apply it. And uh, I'm thankful to be able to be a part of, of you and you being here as we study this together. Uh, now, in just a moment, I want us to have a prayer as we focus our thoughts and as we study it. And I know you did your homework and you've read verses 25, or uh, you've read this section, verses 25 through 32, and you're ready to talk. Uh, now, beginning next week, if I can remember to do it, um, if you do make a comment, you need to be closer to the front. And if you do make a comment, be loud because if we start. I think next week I'm going to ask for a volunteer uh, as if my students will tell you that my use of volunteer is very relative, um, that it means a number of things. If you go, if you raise your hand and go first, then that's great. 
but if not, I'll call your name, and it's all the same to me. Uh, but I'm a little less comfortable with doing that with y'all because I'm afraid of some of you. Uh, but, no, this is where you laugh and say, no, there's no reason to be afraid. Some of you en enjoy that too much. But uh, I'm going to ask for a volunteer to maybe take the hand mic to people who will read. Uh, we're not going to try that today, um, but we're going to maybe get into that habit because uh, the folks watching uh, our online said that they couldn't hear uh, the folks who were reading Scripture. And we are live stream, and we appreciate that very much. Let's pray together. Father God, we are mindful of your goodness and your grace, and we are thankful for the opportunity to open your truth to Psalm 119. And as we look at verses 25 through 32, may we think about God's Word and how it impacts my human existence. May we understand that on this side of eternity we are in a human shell, but that does not weaken us because you are our strength. Give us clarity of mind and humility of heart as we look into your truth. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, as we look tonight, there's four sections here, and hopefully we'll get to all four sections. But in verses 25 through 32, we are looking at God's word as it impacts my human existence. Now, Job said that man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. James uh, wrote that we are like a vapor that comes forth for a little time and then we vanish away. Our human existence is frail. It is limited. It doesn't last forever. But we have a part created in the image of God that does last forever, and we'll talk about that just a little bit in a, a few minutes, hopefully. But our human existence is not hopeless because of God and because of what we have through God. And as we look, one part of that, we'll see that God's Word is a part of my human existence. And so with that theme in mind for these verses, I want us to think about then four sections of these eight verses of this part of a song. And literally, this was a stanza in a song. But as we look at this section and we think about God's Word and how it impacts my human existence and how it gives me the strength to actually live my human existence, I want us to think in the first that God's Word is with me during hard times in everyday life. I think it is interesting. I started to say ironic, but I think it is uh, interesting and on purpose maybe that we are happen to be here at this particular juncture at this particular time, and I hope you paid attention this morning, and I promise I'm not saying this just because you're sitting here, uh, but I hope you listened to Brother Ken's lesson this morning. Uh, as he talked about things that were very pertinent to us, especially right now. So God's Word is with me during hard times in everyday life. If I were to take a show of hands, how many of you have had hard times... Well, that would be silly, wouldn't it? Because all of us understand that times are difficult. Sometimes they are very difficult. Sometimes they're just annoying. But sometimes our human existence can cause us to pause because it's just difficult. But I want us to think about a couple of things here. Beginning in verse 25. 
My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Notice that there are four different ways that God's word is described in this particular section of Scripture. Your word, first of all, it's God's, your word, your statutes, your precepts, and your wondrous works. Now, we could talk for the next 30 minutes just about those things, but I want you to think about that first phrase. David said, my soul clings to the dust. Now, we can read about some of the things through which David went, those difficult times, as he as Saul sought after him, and other times later on that were consequences of his own behavior. But he says, my soul clings to the dust, my soul, who I am, my eternal being, that which is made the image of God, sometimes it is housed in this human flesh and in this human existence. Sometimes I find myself clinging to the dust. That word dust is exactly the way it sounds. The small particles of earth, the, the very finest particles. Okay, uh, this will we be will be interactive here, and I'll repeat what you say. But okay, if you are, how shall I put this? If you have a close relationship to the dust, if you are actually so close to the dust that it's clinging to you, where are you likely? On the ground. You are face to face with it. You're face down in it. Has there ever been times when, when life gets so difficult that you feel like you're face down? You've gone about as low as you can go because it's pushed you down or ground you down. Or even if you haven't been in that situation, can you be? Absolutely. This word clings, what's interesting, this Hebrew word is used twice in this section. And if you're reading the King James, you'll see it. But if you're reading ESV, you won't. But notice it, that I cling... First of all, it means to adhere to, to be joined to, to, to stick to. So if my soul is clinging or sticking to the dust, then I'm spending more time in a down position. I'm spending more time in that uh, crushed or pushed down position than I am anywhere else. So literally this is, or, or David is saying here, that there are times when I feel like that I am ground down, this dust is, is literally powdered earth, that I feel that that's what life has done to me, that my soul is clinging to the dust, so revive me. Now we sing a song, revive us again. What does the word revive mean? Bring back to life. It's interesting, this Hebrew word has the idea of keep alive and nourish and, and bring to recovery. It also means to repair or restore so I understand that there are times, and folks, so God understands as well, that there are times that my human existence reaches that point. Sometimes I'm a rock. Nod your head if you've ever, if there has been or is someone in your family that people refer to, she or he is the rock of our family. Nobody? Yes? Okay. Now, sometimes life grinds away part of our rock to the point that we may seem more like a pile of dust 
than we do the rock. So, David, what do I do during that time? I call out to God, give me life, revive me, according to your word. God is able to reestablish us when life is difficult that way. And I hope you'll think about that. Notice what he said in that verse 26. When I told of your ways, when I told you of my ways, you answered me. You know, that's an interesting phraseology. When I told you of my ways. Please don't ever make the mistake of thinking, I don't need to have a talking relationship with God because he knows everything. Yes, God knows everything about you. In fact, God knows things about you that you don't even know about you yet. That's how he, uh, powerful God is. But that has nothing to do with the fact that God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to have a relationship with him so that you're telling him your ways. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12 the Lord's ear is not shortened. No, I'm, I'm, I do that every time. I'm about to quote Isaiah 59. Let's go to 1 Peter 3 and verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. I won't speak for all preachers, uh, Brother Jim, but I think I, I sometimes have not misused this verse, but not used all of it. Because we use this verse to say, yes, yes, the eyes of the Lord over the righteous, ears open to the prayer. But, and then we talk about those who turn away from God. Now, that is in that verse in a very powerful lesson, but that's not tonight's lesson. Tonight's lesson is, is that when, I, when life has gotten me to the point that my soul is clinging to the dust, God will revive me when I tell him of my ways. He hears me. What does he say? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. He hears us. He hears what we say. I love the reading here that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Do you know who Bette Midler is? She's a singer. I assume most of you do. Uh, she sang a song several years ago. and In, in uh, one of those lyrics said, God is watching us from a distance. Friends, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, Paul said in Philippians that the Lord is near. He is at hand. Uh, which in that verse wasn't talking about the timing of his coming. He's up close and personal with me. And that's not some uh, far-fetched liberal notion. That's scripture. That the Lord, his eyes are over on those who are his righteous. He sees us, and he hears us, and he wants to hear us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, and I hope you're keeping your finger here, but in 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, And we have seen and testify, not 4, 5, I'm sorry. 1 John 5 and verse 14. This is our confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his word, he hears us. Okay, let me read that again. Do, 
Do we believe that? Really believe that? This is our confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. How does God answer me? Now, that could be an entire study. But simply, God answers us basically in two ways, through the unfolding of his grace and his blessings then that's according to his plan and his time. And he answers us in the unfolded pages of his word. God answers us when we listen to his word, and sometimes the answer is there and we just haven't seen it yet. Sometimes the answer unfolds for us, and we don't see it. And I've said this before in, in, here in this pulpit, so you probably, some of you remember it. Um, but I... Have, I am a, a recovering, I don't know the right word that I should say in public. I am recovering a person with an anger problem. And I always have had a bad temper. But I can't remember the last time, and I'm going to pray now that I don't do something foolish this week now, because I had to say something out loud. But I prayed for patience, literally prayed for it. And wanted God to shut my mouth and give me patience, and he did. And you know what he did? My first job as a teacher, I taught 7th grade English for 11 years. You spend 11 years with 12-year-olds, you learn lots and lots and lots and whole lots of patience. Um, Or you die. Uh, And so I didn't die. But that is the truth. That is the truth. Um, I somehow managed to be blessed to be put in charge of the 7th grade field trip at the end of the year of one school where I was, which consisted of two buses and and 150 seventh graders in a bowling alley and and Ryan's. You're right, there is no way to paint that in a good light. Uh, It is very challenging, especially when you have people who've never bowled before and the little girl says, is this how you do it? Yes, put that, and then you come back. And I didn't know you had to tell her that you don't let go of it when you go back. You would think people know that. As the ball went in front of my face, I realized she didn't know that. So the idea is sometimes God answers us in ways that we might not first think or won't, but he does answer us. He does answer us. And and notice here, make me understand the ways of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous words. God, God's word is with me during these times. He is able to solidify me when life grinds me. He is able to sustain me when life uh, threatens to weaken me. But he does that through his word. He does that through my communication to him and listening to him as he unfolds. And you know, I have learned, you say, well, God answers. God answers us through things that unfold in our lives. But have you noticed that God filters and explains all the things that happens in in our lives through his word? Yes, ma'am. He was. He was asking for help uh, to understand... I'm sorry, say that again. Oh, 
Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Help me understand how to apply your statutes, your precepts, because without them, I can't handle life. I don't know, I can't deal with life without it, but if I understand it, I meditate on it, I think about it, God's helping us to understand it. Yes, absolutely. Now, raise your hand and I'll be and understand that I may not, if I don't see you, you may have to move your hand uh, because I usually don't miss a moving target. Uh, but second, absolutely. Then this verse goes a little deeper about our human condition. In verse 28, David said, My soul, same word again, melts away for sorrow. This word sorrow has the idea, the King James says heaviness, I think. Uh, heaviness. Uh, it literally means depression of spirits. Now, the word depression means some, push down, push down, push down. We use the word depression very loosely. Uh, I have students who will come through my room who are depressed because they didn't get the latest iPhone. That's not how you apply that word. That's not that word. This idea here, depression of spirits, grief, your spirits are, are literally pressed down, or your spirit is, because of heaviness, because of sorrow. Sorrow, can sorrow be heavy? Can sorrow be difficult? Absolutely. Now, to me, this, is an, this word melts is an interesting word. And I thought about and thought about and thought about the best way to illustrate it. By implication, it means to weep. It means to weep, and I'm not going to pry into your personal uh, heart and ask you if you have ever cried to the point you didn't think you could cry anymore. But there is such a state. But the idea of to drop through, to drip, and to the point of emptying, and I thought of a good illustration, I think. Now, if you've ever known someone to cook with butter, you take a skillet. You put that skillet on the heat, and an iron skillet, of course. By the way, time out. Now, unlike Brother, uh, Brother Ken, I, I have random moments sometimes. I can't help it. I found out, Jeremy, that you're not supposed to wash an iron skillet with dishwasher, with any kind of soap. I see people shaking your head. Uh, well, I almost did that didn't realize I was committing a, yeah, it was bad, okay. Uh, the, you don't do that, okay. But anyway, with that said, uh, now, don't ask me why, because I, I didn't get that much of the, uh, well, I do know, but I don't remember it. But you got your skillet and your butter. Anybody cook with butter? Take an entire stick of butter, put that cold butter right out of the refrigerator on that iron skillet. It's solid as solid can be. Then you turn up the heat, and what happens? It begins to what? It doesn't just suddenly melt. It begins to get loose around the edges, doesn't it? And then it starts to drip. And then it starts to slide a little. And then it gets more and more. Makes me think of a snowman. So I heard some of you talking about snow. But if you get a snowman and you pack it up the way you're supposed to, it'll last longer than that way after the snow's gone. But it begins to look kind of sad after a while in the sun because it begins to drip and it begins to weaken from the inside because of that constant 
heat from the sun. Now, this is what that word melt means. That my soul can find itself in a situation where it is melting from within and melting around the edges and part of what makes me God's and part of what makes me eternal and part of, of what makes me who I am that I hold so dearly to feels like at least that it's slipping away. Now, that's the human existence. Have we been in those places before? Absolutely. Absolutely. But notice, strengthen me. He calls out, strengthen me. That word strengthen means just what it says, to, to re, reform, to refill, uh, to, to solidify those melting edges, to do that. God can do that. But notice he did not put a period there. If we were in my English class, that according to your word, that is a phrase, that's how it's going to happen. And David understands that's how God will take those melting edges and stop that process. He will stop that soul that is melting from within because of sorrow, because of... Uh, depression or depressive things that push down. How does he do that? According to my word. According to your word. Um, in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 7, Paul was talking there about the man in 1 Corinthians who had been uh, living in sin that they were told to not have fellowship with so that he might repent. But he said, now you need to forgive him, you need to love him, lest he be... Uh, overcome with much sorrow. That word overcome has the idea, that's an interesting Greek word too, by the way. I love words, I can't help it. But that word means drown. So you may have thought drowning in your sorrow was a metaphor. Apparently not. I can become so overwhelmed by sorrow that it takes the life out of me, the spiritual life out of me. Uh, and you know what? And I don't say this lightly, and please don't think that I'm being uh, um, flippant about any, uh, anything, but especially what I'm about to say. I personally, because of my, my spiritual feelings and my personality, have never truly understand what might lead a person to take his or her own life. But I do understand that apparently you can be in a place that you feel as though who you are has been melted away. That's a dangerous place. You can drown in sorrow. Now, physically, if you drown, you're dead. And spiritually, if you drown, then you die as well. Now, but wait, what, what happens? Turn to 2 Corinthians, well, in 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians 4, please. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 9 and 10, Paul's writing to those Corinthians about this same subject, and he says to them that, I'm glad you were made sorry. I'm glad that you had this sorrow because it caused you to repent. It caused you to act properly. Then he says, verse 10, godly sorrow... Leads to what? Repentance. It causes you to do the right thing. It, you don't stay there. You don't stay there. 
I have known people in my life had someone say to me on one occasion uh, that, Preacher, you just don't understand what I've done. God will never forgive me. Uh, I'll never be good enough. That person was drowning in his or her own regrets, his or her own sorrow. But 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, somebody read that, please. Change my mind. Second Corinthians four and verse sixteen. We do not lose heart, though our outward man is perishing. So that talks about my physical body, of course, but it's more than that, I think. My physical existence. Everything about my physical existence is temporary, it's frail, it, it, it is uh, vulnerable to these very things, things that we're talking about. But what does he say? My inward man is renewed day by day. And that is exactly what David is calling for here and saying is found in the Word of God. That God will strengthen our inner man as our outward man melts as it is vulnerable to those things. Okay, and, and so I, I feel strongly about saying what I'm about to say. And understand, this, ha this is not a... Uh, here's a disclaimer. Nothing that I'm about to say in any shape, form, or fashion is political. But Brother Ken touched on it just a little bit this morning. I noticed, and it blows my mind, and it's made me think. I've noticed a couple, at least two people on Facebook have taken pictures of the current gas prices and posted them for their timeline. And another individual actually went so far as to write in a post that, you know, about how, how bad things are, how, how terrible things are and godless because of how the election went and so forth. But folks... I drove 45 minutes back and forth to work five days a week during the time when gas went to nearly $5 a gallon. And for about two weeks, it was $5 a gallon where I lived. Um, and you're talking about eating up a paycheck. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been through... I, I hope it doesn't go back to $5 a gallon, I can tell you that, because I, I've already decided what I'm going to do with all that gas money that I'm not spending. But the thing is, I got to thinking about that. During that time when we were bewoeing all the things going on in society and gas prices were through the roof and they went farther than we'd ever thought they'd be before, I'm going to be honest, when I was... Uh, a senior in high school and gas went up to eight, 85 cents a gallon, I thought life was over. But during that time, you know what? I actually got a raise where I worked. I actually, God blessed me during that time and I don't miss a single dime that I spent on that extra gas. In fact, I'm no worse for the wear. Why? Because I, my inward man continued to grow, and while the outward man went through whatever was happening at the time. So David teaches us something here. If, according to his word, he will 
strengthen us no matter what's happening. No matter how difficult time gets, He will strengthen us. And I think that's a powerful message and a powerful lesson. But number three, God's Word guides me in making decisions, making right decisions. Sometimes making decisions is difficult. Notice the way David starts in verse 29. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 14 here in just a second. But put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Do you notice that that sentence there... That that sentence, put false ways far from me and graciously teach your law, that's an imperative sentence that has two parts. I'm asking God, David is, and I'm asking God, is I am trying to live my life and make the decisions I'm supposed to make. Put false ways far from me. Now, do we sometimes say that to God or pray that to God or think that in God's direction? as a command or as a, a, a strong request and say, put far, uh, ways far from me. And I'm going to wait for you to do that. You know, you make things better. You make difficulties go away so I don't have to deal with them. Sounds great, folks, but that's not how Scripture defines it. Because the word and goes on to say, graciously teach me your law. Why would I need to know God's law if he's going to take false ways away from me? If he's going to make the things that make, cause me to make poor decisions, if he's going to get those out of the way, then what do I need with a better understanding of the law? Well, I wouldn't if that was the case, but it isn't. How do I know? Well, look at Titus chapter 2. Unless... Don't just read verse 12, but I want us to read 11 all the way down to verse... Uh-oh, Jim, I did something bad. I forgot to start my timer. Y'all know what that means. I can just start it right now, right? Somebody's going to have to tell me when it's 545 because I didn't start the timer. But in Titus 2, look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Amen. Let's stop right there. No, we can't do that. Training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Now watch. For the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness... Don't put a period there. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. That people for God's possession are not just sitting idly, are not just waiting on Jesus to come, not waiting for God to move the false ways out of the way so we won't make bad decisions, but we are his people for good works to be busy, to be doing, to be a part. And so it teaches us, this grace that saves us, also trains us or teaches us that not only do we live 
righteously godly, we have to put things away that would prevent us from doing that. We have to make decisions. I have chosen the way of faithfulness, David said. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. What? I have chosen the way of faithfulness. What did Joshua say in Joshua 24, 15? As he stood on the, the eve of him becoming that leader, and he said to those people, he said what? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And he laid out for them the choice. And then he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, there is something inherent in that verse that is possible that we don't fully appreciate. Or maybe we just take it for granted and we should stop and, and just dwell on it in a minute. He is saying to those people, you have a choice to make. But when he made that statement, when he made that, that emphatic statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he's saying there that he had already made what? That choice. He'd already made that choice. He didn't say we plan to serve God. He said, well, we're, we're going to go this way. No, he had already made the decision that this is what we're going to do. And David says here, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. Put false ways from me and teach me your law so that I can continue to make right decisions because I've chosen the way of faithfulness. And then he says, I set your rules before me. I'm enjoying studying this because I, I studied Greek in college. Um, no, let me rephrase that. I sat in a Greek class in college. Uh, and I study it as I, I try to preach. But I set your rules. That Hebrew word is interesting. Uh, King James or another you might have says, I laid your, your uh, rules before me. When you look at that word in the Hebrew, it has the idea of laying something out and in a way that it's balanced, that it's equal, that you're putting things out in a balanced way. Okay, husbands, this is a question for you. Wives, you... you you may nod your head, but you cannot speak. Uh, have any of you husbands ever put something out or done something you were asked to do and your wife come in behind you and move it over a half an inch? Or, or move it just... Some of you are afraid to nod your head, but you're smiling and say, I'm not answering that. But is that true? What, now, ladies, what, what difference did it make where it was? Come on, be honest. It, oh, okay. It did not have balance, did it? Now, and I'm not saying that to be silly or take us off of our study. In fact, if you'll think about it, it is about our study. David said this word, when he said, I set your rules before me, that, he didn't just mean that I took my, my scroll or I took the, the Bible and I dropped it in front of me. That's not what that word means. It means that I laid them out. I lay it out so that it is precisely where it should be. Now, how do you know? Well, that's what the word means, but does that fit? It fits perfectly with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, study, be diligent to show yourself approved to God, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. But that last verse, I think, uh, Sister Janita, for a long time, I read the whole verse, I quoted the whole verse, but I didn't understand what the last part really meant for a long, long time. But it's right there with it. 
is I am being diligent, is I am trying to do my best. What does it say? What does he say? Rightly dividing the word of truth. And that doesn't mean you know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's a little bit apart. You, you do need to know that. It comes in handy. But it means that I separate the Word of God the way He intended it to be separated, and I apply it where He intends for it to be applied. You say, how do you do that? By opening it up. By laying it out there. By letting it fit. Um, I don't know about you, Brother Jim, or, or Aaron, or... Um, Ken or any other preachers in here. Oh, there's three preachers in here. No wonder I'm so nervous. Uh, but have you ever had someone go by you? And I'm not being judgmental. But go by you and they say, man, that was a great lesson. That really, and you're thinking, but it was really, you know, there's, there's parts of your life that you really ought to. Have you ever had anybody that just seemed to, whoosh, never happen? happened to me I've done it to myself when I lay it out and I proportion it to my life the way it's supposed to be guess what uh, I guess somebody let out early okay uh, but when I proportion it the way it's supposed to be then God will teach me and he will guide me and let's go to the fourth one before time runs out. I wanted to look at another verse, but there is another one. Um, look at verses 31 and 32. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. God's Word not only helps me make decisions, but it fuels my spiritual growth. Remember, we're talking about our human existence, how we live, how, how we, we get by in this world. It fuels my human existence or, or fuels my spiritual growth, how do you know? Well, I cling to your testimonies. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart? Makes me think of that uh, cool little cartoon that uh, CBS has decided to put the old cartoons back on for Christmas. That's a good thing. But um, the Grinch, remember he had a, si he had a heart ten sizes too small. But in the end, he had a heart. Oh, five. Was it five times? I'm sorry. Oh, five minutes. I was, thought he was correcting. I thought he was correcting me on the Grinch. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Jim. Uh, but stop laughing at me. That's not that funny. Okay. Yeah, it kind of is. But a, a heart ten size. Ten size is too big. Okay. Now wait. That's enlarge my heart. Not my physical heart. Not just my heart of emotion but my spiritual heart, who I am spiritually, that's growth. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I'm not crawling anymore, but walking. I'm not walking anymore, but now I'm running spiritually. Why? Because you've made my heart larger. I've grown. Now, that, that first word, do you remember back in the very uh, first few verses? My heart clings to the dust. Same word. When I am so part of the dust that I'm so down, it's just like I'm part of the ground. It's the same word. I'm so close to the word of God, you can't tell where God's word stops and I start. And David said, that's when. Uh, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. 
as I live that life and I grow. Second, uh, second um, Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. In Second Peter chapter 3, 17 and 18. We often quote that very last verse. But notice what he says. But grow in grace. Let's back up to verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, same idea. He said already, put it far from me. Help me make those decisions. I, I will not be put to shame. I will run in the way when you enlarge my heart. Help me grow, Lord, as I cling to your testimony. That's what David said, or what Peter said. Knowing this beforehand, knowing what's going to happen, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. And you know what? Sometimes we bemoan what's going on in, in, in our world and we think that verse is talking about denominationalism. That verse is talking about, yeah, and I'm, I come over here instead of going over there and everything's just great, fine, and lovely. But folks, it's saying here, since you know what's going to happen in the end, don't let me get caught up in the mentality or the sociology or the... Uh, whatever's going on with the godless people of the world. Why? Well, we know why. But what does he say? But growing grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When I know what I shouldn't, and I cling to the Word of God, then uh, I will grow. And I think my time has elapsed. Um, if you wish, uh, parents, please go and get your children. And if you need to partake of the Lord's Supper, there is someone back there uh, who will help you at this time. And if you are staying for the uh, last leaders meeting, it will take place in here. But uh, thank you very much. And if you want to do your homework, read the next eight verses.